You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. I wanted to say bear with me, but then I thought to myself, why should I say bear with me? Because it is the word of God. It's Sunday. I mean, can you think of something better you'd rather be doing? And if you could, then why don't you go and do it? Uh, I'll be very frank with you. you. You ought to just leave and just do what you would like to do. Uh, but if you're the highest uh, love or, or something that you have affection for is the word of God, you're in a great place. And uh, it's interesting. We're here. Uh, we just had a great worship set. I really enjoyed, especially the holy, holy, holy. Um, that is to say God is separate. You know, a lot of times you ask, what does holiness mean? And uh, the... Uh, what it actually means in the Jewish mind is the separateness of God, that he is so separate from his creation and all created things. Uh, That would include all of his attributes. His love is so separate than what we would consider love. And, you know, I would also like to connect that to the fruit of the Spirit. So even that idea of the fruit of the Spirit, it is not the fruit of us. And, you know, a couple weeks ago, I was reminded of that because when I was originally writing this, I thought, okay, how can we pursue the fruit of the Spirit or work it in ourselves? And then Lucas reminded, well, it's not the fruit of us, it's the Spirit producing it in us. And I'm like, okay, well, now I have to change some things. And yeah, that's absolutely right. I lost sight of that. So thank you for that. Um, And the interesting thing about this sermon is at the end of it, in the conclusion, um, I I just kind of stumbled upon it. There was a verse that came to my mind from 2 Corinthians where I was like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. How does the fruit of the Spirit get produced in us by the Spirit? And so I want to revisit that, but just have something to look forward to at the end. Okay, so I'd like to welcome everyone back. Um, Newcomers, I, I think it's mainly the faces that we normally see. So welcome back. Uh, the text for this morning is uh, Galatians 5, 22 to 23, which is specifically about the fruit of the Spirit. And I'd like to read it real quick just as a form of recap. Um, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And um, the topic for this morning is going to be gentleness. You may have noticed that faithfulness comes before gentleness. And you might be like, well, wait a minute, you skipped one. We're going to come back to that. And I think it wasn't intentional at first, but I, um, I always kind of rest on the fact that God is sovereign over his word, over the preachers, over the church. It's his church. Uh, Revelation clearly states that he's got the lampstands in his hands. So if we feel like we skipped something, I think, you know, you're all here for a reason. Maybe you're here to listen to this sermon and maybe next week, someone that should have listened to faithfulness will come next week. And so it's a beautiful thing and God directs everything. So I'm not really worried that we're a little bit off. So you shouldn't be either. Um, Also, as a form of recap, in Galatians, just if you're wondering, how do we get to the fruit of the spirit here? Um, You know, I I just, I want to be very brief, but just, it'd be great to do a Galatians study. Um, And I think when we have time for that, it's going to be mind-blowing. But basically what happened was Paul uh, went to a far country in Galatia he preached the gospel, the gospel of grace. And after he had left, there was Jewish believers that came in and started preaching and teaching 
that these Christians, no, they haven't yet arrived. They have to become Jewish. They have to uh, follow circumcision and all the Jewish flavor of Jewish Christianity. And so Christ wasn't enough. And Paul uh, gives a, a very frank uh, rebuke and saying that if anyone, even an angel from heaven, preaches to you another gospel, let him be accursed. That's one of the highlights of the book of Galatians in chapter one. And uh, this ending portion, uh, he kind of addresses a question. Well, if I'm not following the law of Moses, then I'm just doing whatever I want, right? And the way Paul answers it is no, because if you're following and walking after the spirit, you automatically are not doing whatever you want. The spirit produces these things in you. And that is, if you are walking after the spirit, you are fulfilling the law. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, so just uh, as a form also of recap where we've been, um, I kind of was thinking about where we've been and we're kind of coming close to the end of our fruit of the spirit discussion. Um, and I just thought to myself, if I had to say it, where, you know, what can I say about love and joy and peace? And maybe that will kind of orient our minds a little bit. But what came to me in love is, is I tied all the fruits of the spirit back to Christ and it's very important in the conclusion. So keep that in mind. I'm gonna keep coming back to Christ. Um, so love, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love, love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Joy um, in Nehemiah, in the Old Testament, he says at the end of Nehemiah eight ten, do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Uh, peace, Colossians 1, 20. And through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once again, it goes back to Christ. Christ has made peace with us through his blood on the cross. Patience, once again, going back to, to the Lord. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, and said he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Two more, kindness, Titus 3, 4, and 5. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, goodness. Jesus, once again, stating, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so through this, we can kind of have a, uh, the object or the goal of the fruit of the Spirit that, that the Holy Spirit is working in us is to conform us or make us more like Christ in the image of Christ. And Christ exemplifies through his life, through his ministry, all the fruits of the Spirit. So if we ever need an example, uh, we can always go back to scripture and once again, keep all these little points in mind because um, we're gonna get back to that in the conclusion. Um, also as a preface, uh, the fruits of the spirit are interconnected. So this, this, um, uh, first I'll, I'll give an example. Example is like an athlete. Um, when he pursues his athletic training, uh, to strengthen himself, he needs to have multiple areas that are being strengthened and they're all interconnected. If one of the areas is weak, that'll be his weakest link. And that's best or most he can progress as an athlete. So what 
does an athlete pursue? He pursues diet. He's got to be very clean in what he eats, exercise, oftentimes weight training and running and some forms of cardio like swimming. And, and that creates strong bones and strong bodies and joints and ligaments and so on. And they all work together. And once again, it's the same way with the fruit of the spirit. It was interesting a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to pick on Lucas a little bit because I heard Lucas's kindness and goodness back to back. And it's been a while since I heard a sermon from Ovi. And I honestly, it's been a little while. Um, and then with uh, Mike Moses preaching last Sunday too, it's nice to kind of get a recap and kind of like, okay, where, where are we at? But um, with Lucas, it's basically the idea that um, he was able to humbly say that the thing that he's lacking in is kindness. And so I think we can all look at ourselves and say, Where, where's my weakest link? What can I pray uh, that God strengthen in me in this fruit of the spirit? What, what fruit is lacking? And I think we can all be honest in that sense. So, gentleness. That, that's the topic for this morning, as I've stated. Um, how do you think it's received? If, uh, you know, in other words, it's not high on, on, on anyone's list, right? I mean, I'll be honest. When was the last time you got on your knees and, and asked God to create more gentleness in you? I, I honestly, humbly, cannot recall one time I ever asked God to make me more gentle, um, which the laughter is uh, kind of sad. It's a sad laughter. Um, but why is this? And, and I think it's pretty obvious, like as men, uh, we want strength and we often associate gentleness with weakness. And men want to be macho and strong body and mind and character and so on. And gentleness seems to be the antithesis of it. Uh, we're not really like, oh, gentleness, that's going to, yeah, great. I'm going to be tougher now. You know, it doesn't, doesn't uh, get our goals. Same thing with women. Uh, women in today's culture and society, if, if you just observe, uh, want to become more masculine, want to become powerhouses and bulldoze everybody and steamroll people. And uh, they're not often concerned with gentleness either, uh, sad to say. And then children? Well, no, I don't think so. Uh, sometimes I've, I've observed children playing so nice and gently with each other, but it often breaks down and then they start beating each other and crying. And if I put my head too close to my little daughter, she'll claw my eyes out. <laughs> so not very gentle. It's more of a brutal touch than a gentle touch. Um, so the Greek word that I found um, in the lexicon is praotes. Uh, that's the word for gentleness. Uh, as a definition, pra, the, the prefix pra means meekness. So it's often connected to meekness or humbleness. Um, as it is defined, it's power under control. It, but I'd also like to say that it's not denying yourself or saying no, but a meek action. And the meek action that kind of came to my mind was once again, I go back to Lucas' sermon with uh, the example that he shared with his father. When Lucas lashed out at his father and his father had every right to smack him, perhaps as my father would have done as a strong Romanian man, he would have smacked me to kingdom come. Uh, but Lucas's father uh, showed great gentleness. And um, Lucas used it as kindness, which this interconnected idea that the fruits are so interconnected Sometimes I have to 
I just have to use that example to kind of um, make the application. Because if you sit there and say, well, that could have been love, that could have been compassion, that could have been kindness, or, or any of the fruits, really. And you can argue for that. And I'm not here to make arguments or debate on, no, no, this is not gentleness, it's something else. Uh, you know, you don't have to be that critical on this. But with the definition of power under control, uh, as Lucas's father had the power over his son, he could have done something not gentle, but instead he gave him a hug in that moment. So that is a meek and humble response when Lucas puffed up his chest and said, you know, step up, dad, you know, and Lucas's father chose to uh, act in a humble manner. Um, so the opposite is outbursts of wrath. What is the alternative of gentleness? Seeking destruction in the worst way possible, while gentleness is seeking reconciliation in the best way possible. Um, and through this sermon, I'd, the purpose is really to give you a perspective on gentleness um, that we so often lack. We, I mean, I, I've listened to one sermon on gentleness in my Christian career, and that was recently by Alistair Begg. And I recommend it. If you put it into YouTube, uh, it's a great little 35-minute sermon. Um, and usually he goes a lot longer than 35, so I don't know. But I'd like to give everyone a perspective on gentleness, to see its value, and to desire it more. Uh, perhaps today we can get on our knees and ask God, God, please produce uh, a more gentle spirit within me. So I'd like to start off with a prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we're so grateful to be here this morning. Um, we're grateful to be with the saints, to be in your presence. Uh, Father, I just pray that you would uh, use your word um, and your spirit to reveal the Son in all of this. I pray that we would look intently on his glory, that we would be conformed more to his image. I pray that you would pr produce a gentleness in us and, and likewise produce um, more fruits in us, uh, that we would bring your name uh, honor and praise that you deserve. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So my points are a little different than uh, perhaps the last fruit that we looked at, uh, where Lucas masterfully looked at Romans 8 with goodness. And uh, I felt a little, I don't know if it was convicted or bad, but um, I recall him saying, well, we don't jump around and look at a lot of verses. We just stick to one. And that's a great method, but I'm going to do the opposite. <laughs> so like, okay, this is where I was going to say, bear with me. But now I'm thinking, no, it's going to be fun. Uh, well, or at least I hope so. Um, that it's a good time to look at God's word through the scripture and look at it under the lens of gentleness. Um, so where I'd like to start is, is really the points are like really just two points and just examples and stories. So it's going to be more like a story time. Uh, the two points are really like gentleness through the scripture and then gentleness um, displayed through our savior. And so everything is connected back to Christ. And once again, it works really well with the conclusion at the end. So let's see here. The first story that kind of brought to mind, I, I was asking Raz a couple weeks ago, Raz, what uh, story in the Bible does it kind of remind you of gentleness? Does it scream out gentleness? And if I were to ask that question to you, what do you think you'd say? It'd be a little bit of a head scratcher. It doesn't come right away to us. Um, but the story that kind of comes to my mind was Ruth and Boaz. And remember the definition of power under control. 
So just to kind of give you a little background, if it's been a while since you've looked at the book of Ruth, um, we find a family that leaves Bethlehem to go to a far country of Moab. And this family has two sons. The two sons marry two Moabitish women. In that time um, of a famine, the two sons die. And one woman, both women say, listen, we're going to stay with you. But the mother-in-law says, go your way, go back to your country. One woman cries and leaves back to her country to find a new husband. While Ruth, the other one, stays with Naomi. And they travel back to their original country, which is Bethlehem or Israel in Bethlehem. So we see here two women that are widows that have no hope. And why do they have no hope? Because in that day, widows were not looked upon favorably. First of all, Naomi was old. No one was going to marry her. There was no hope for her to get remarried. Oftentimes, women were associated with children. So if a woman could not bring forth children because she was too old, they often were not selected to become remarried. The other thing is there was an agricultural lifestyle. You had to be strong enough as a man to work the land. Naomi, as an old woman, had no hope. Uh, Ruth, likewise, was a Moabitish woman. So she was a foreigner and she was a widow. So she wasn't also very favorably looked upon. But it's interesting because the line of Christ runs through Ruth. She got into the lineage uh, of Jesus Christ. Her um, son was Obed and Obed begat Jesse and Jesse begat David. So like literally her line runs through it. And that is really the grace of God. But the, the two um, texts that I'd like to focus on for gentleness is this interaction between Boaz. So now we see them in, the, uh, in Israel with no hope. These two destitute women with no hope, no men, who's going to provide for them? And we see Boaz step up. And this is the passage. It's, it's uh, found in Ruth 2, 8 and 9. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. So this is a form of gentleness because remember, Boaz, as the master of this field, he was a very rich man in, in a position of power, treated this woman with extraordinary gentleness, power under control. He could have done many things. He could have been offended by even the mere existence of this foreign women in his field. And the other thing with, uh, with his power and gentleness being under control is the fact that in the law, God had provided for the widows and the orphans and the stranger in the land uh, by a decree that no one should harvest the corners of their fields. And so they leave the corners of their fields for the poor to come in and glean. It was called gleaning. And so they would take part in the harvesting. And God provided for people, uh, not as we provide today with the welfare system where we just give them money, but now God is saying, if you want to eat, I'll provide for you, go and get it. Which uh, to me is a way better system. So once again, we see a man who has power, yet it is under control. 
and he seeks to comfort a poor widow in a time of need, in a time of great need, really. And James says, if you recall from the James study, that um, true religion is to take care of orphans and a widow because they cannot repay you. So at the end, I would like to connect it to Christ, but further as the story progresses, Boaz does one extra step in his care. And it's found in Ruth 15, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Ruth 2, 15 and 16. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Boaz, what is he doing? He's making her burden light, yet at the same time preserving her dignity because he's not just giving her a handout and showing favoritism. He's saying, she's working in my field and she's found faithful. She comes every day and she's a widow. So I want you to go the extra step to this unknown servant and leave some sheaves already cut for her to pick up. And later on in the text, it said that she brought like, uh, I don't know how many, like 47 bushels. Um, their measurement was about like 47 pounds of, of grain, which was very uncommon. That's a huge amount for a widow to gather. So he really went above and beyond for this woman um, in, in extending a hand, compassion and gentleness with this woman. And I'd like to po uh, point it back to Christ. In the first point that we talked about, Christ also tells us to work in his field, even though we are not deserving. And that's found in Matthew 9, 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Speaking of this harvest that we are to go and work in his field. And uh, I'd actually, I'd like to get back to that. And we are the hired workers and we are exclusively to work in his field. The, the second point where, remember where Boaz makes Ruth's work very light and easy or easier at least. Um, Christ's work is easy and he makes it easy for us. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. The yoke is easy because our master is gentle. He frees us from a harsh slave master that says, do until you die, work until you die, and gives us freedom. He gives us a rewarding work that is eternal and has meaning. And how, how does he make it easy? Well, remember this unknown servant that went out and cut the stalks so Ruth can gather them? Well, likewise, the servant, uh, an unnamed servant, is often a picture of the, Old of, of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And so likewise, when we are to work in his field, what are we to do? We're to actually sow the seed. We're, we're to throw out the word of God. We're to throw out the gospel. And what happens is we do that by speaking to non-believers, but we don't, we're not commanded to beat them into submission, wrestle with them, get them down and pin them and believe. You know, what happens is the Holy Spirit goes before us and he prepares their hearts. So all we do is sow the seed and he brings, he brings forth the conversions. So he, in this way, he makes our, our work easy and he makes our work rewarding because it has in eternal implications and eternal rewards. And that I would say is, is gentleness, true power under control because we were undeserving. And once again, they're so interconnected. You can put grace here. You can put love here. You can put kindness. You can, put, you can start stacking all, all, all the fruits, okay? 
Second point in the Old Testament that we can observe, and here I have to be a little bit uh, quicker. I might have to cut a little bit of the further points, but I, when I asked Raz, Raz came up with the answer of David and Mohibosheth, which I thought was a very good response. I also see gentleness in this. Um, just by show of hands, uh, who knows the story of David and Mohibosheth in the Old Testament? Okay, a couple, good. So basically what happened was David was the second king of Israel. Um, he was known for his bloody wars, for battles. He was a rugged man. He ran around for 30 years in caves with his men. He never lost a sword fight. He was, he was good. Um, although David had much power, both physically and politically, because he was a king, he had it under control and he did things. I mean, I, okay, side note. He had it under control, but there are still inconsistencies. We won't get into that, but we can all be inconsistent at times. Going back to the point, um, he had power under control and did things that most people in his position as a king would not do. And that was the, uh, the story of David and Mohibosheth. What happened, um, as a quick paraphrase, was Jonathan, if you recall, Saul's son, was his best friend. And Interestingly, Saul's son, Jonathan, believed in God's word to a great degree because God said that David was going to be king. Now, this goes against Jonathan because Jonathan's family was in line to be king. So he believed God's word and submitted to that over helping his father kill David and secure himself the line. So he's an incredible man in scripture. Uh, nevertheless, he asked David, I know you're going to be king one day. And this is found in... Um, 1 Samuel 20, 14 to 15, just for context, if you are taking notes. He, he asked David, David, when you become king, being sure that he was going to become king, I want you to have mercy and, and remember my family. Don't kill us all. Because in that time, when there was a competing line to the throne, that king would just cut him off. Like, okay, there goes the competition. I have every right to do so. So I'm securing my, my throne. Uh, but David he didn't see it that way. And he took this vow very seriously. When he became king and Jonathan was long dead, Second um, Samuel 9, 1 through 8, David goes about, he remembers the vow. He could have just been passive and forgotten about it. He could have been worse and just went after him like most kings would have done and killed Saul's line completely. No more competition. Instead, what he does is he, he asks, he inquires, and he finds someone uh, in Jonathan's line, a son. Has, does Jonathan have any, any uh, sons or daughters that I could show kindness to? And his servant recalls one man, his name was Mohibosheth, and Mohibosheth uh, was lame from, from uh, his youth, meaning he couldn't walk. So David says, bring him in. And Mohibosheth was trembling. This guy was afraid. He's going to go see the king. You know, this is a conflict of interest. I'm, I'm a competing line and uh, the king wants to see me. What's going on? He brings him in. And when he thought he was going to be killed, that worst case scenario, this is what David says in Second uh, Samuel uh, 9, verse 7. Do not be afraid, said David, for surely I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mohibosheth bowed down and said, 
What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog like me? So once again, with these interconnecting fruits, it, it displays many things, the kindness and love and mercy, gentleness. He had the power to get rid of his competition or like I said, simply do nothing. But instead he remembers his vows and seeks to do something that encourages a crippled man who is unable to help himself. Um, David's gentleness is displayed by God the Father who saw our helpless and lame condition in, in the spiritual sense, that there was nothing we could do to make peace with him. And uh, through favor of another, that's Jesus Christ, he granted us to eat at his table continuously. Matthew 8, 11, and this is uh, Jesus speaking. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And that many people, that's us, will come from the east and the west and take a seat at his table. And we will continuously eat bread with him, even though we were lame and there was nothing we can do. And in fact, we were his enemies. The Bible says, if you recall, Romans 5, 8, while we're yet sinners. So this is extreme power under control, gentleness displayed by King David. Time is drawing to a close. Um, and I'd like to really touch on maybe one or two of the points of the gentleness specifically displayed uh, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Um, Isaiah 42, one through three, and just the, the third uh, verse, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not extinguish. Have you ever heard of that before? Um, that is to say that people that we might find, they're just a bruised reed. They're a broken person. Jesus is so gentle, he will not snuff them out. A smoking flax, he will not snuff out and say, well, there's no more purpose for you. You've messed up too much. He is gentle and we can come to him because of his gentleness. If Jesus was a harsh and brutal master, we would be too scared to approach him. But in this sense, he invites us to come to him. What about Jesus's attitude in the face of injustice? Well, we can also view gentleness in this. Although he is, and, and at, at that time he was and is the almighty God, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. How gentle. Can you think of something more gentle than a lamb? Second Peter 2, 22 to 23. And this is what he did. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they heaped abuse on him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats, but entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Once again, Christ is not like some boss that tells his employees to do something he is not willing to do. How, how great is that? Instead, he models for us through his suffering how we may be mistreated in this world, but we have his promise of an expected future. We can be gentle because we know the king will make all things right in the future. And so I'd like to turn that question over to us. How do we act when we are mistreated? I, I would often think that we would want to fight back with our words even if we don't want to slap him with our hand, we might slap him with words. And Jesus did neither. Um, and likewise, if we are to follow him, 
it's a hard thing to say, even uh, looking at myself, but we can take injustice in this world and knowing that uh, Christ took it on our behalf as well. And when we do that, we follow in his footsteps. Uh, one of the other things with gentleness and power under control is the parable of the lost son that Jesus tells. If you recall from um, Luke 15, 11 to 24, and I, I won't read it, it's a little bit lengthy, but I'll just kind of paraphrase it. The fact of this son who tells his dad, dad, I, uh, I want my inheritance. And inheritance was given after the dad was dead. So in effect, for a Jewish boy to tell his dad, I want the inheritance now while you're alive was a big insult. It was like saying, dad, I wish you were dead. And that's how one could have taken that statement. And the father uh, gives the inheritance, half of his property, he, he uh, cashes out, gives it to his son. What does the son do? Does he do honorable things and invest it? No, he goes out and he spends the inheritance with prostitutes. Um, he goes to the far country. Why is it far? Because he didn't want his dad to see what he was doing. And when the famine came, the money ran out, the friends left. He was uh, working with the pigs and he came to himself and he said, he reasoned in himself that I could just be a servant of my father. The, the servants always had something to eat. You know, at least I'm, I'm starving over here. And he runs back to his father in shame. It's smelling like pigs. And remember to a Jew, a pig was an unclean animal. So to come from a pigsty working and smelling like a pig was a big disgrace, along with all the shame that he had spent his inheritance, his father's money, and said, dad, I wish you were dead. So keeping all that in mind, he comes back to the father, hoping at least the father will make me a servant, right? But what does the father do? Um, maybe this is the part that I'll read. But while he was still in the distance, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. The son declared, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Wow. If you think about it, what could the father have done? The alternative, which was brutality. Beating, father could have beat him. You, you shameful son. Could have disowned him. Could have said, get out of here. Go back to the pigs. Uh, even worse, he could have killed him because in the law, there was a provision for um, children that were disobedient to be taken to the square and stoned in this parable. So he could have said, you're a shameful son. You've come back with nothing. You've lost half of my you know, inheritance. You know, we got to take you to the square and do what the law commands. But instead, he could have demanded payment. Well, you better work for me until you pay every penny. Nope, that's not what he does. The, the father celebrates and doesn't receive him as a servant, but a son. The father goes above and beyond to restore him. And you can say that's the gentleness of grace. This unmerited favor that the father has compassion for his son, even though the father was an authority, that is power under control. He, whatever power he could have done to the son, 
he held it under control and instead went above and beyond to reconcile with him, the best way to reconcile with them. And likewise, God does that with us because that is a story of God the Father. It seems like perhaps we might have time for one more and uh, we're doing good on time. Jesus, he washes our feet. Have you ever thought of that? This, this idea and the story that's found in John 13, four to five, where he humbles himself. He's the Lord of glory. He humbles himself. And if you think about even the act of uh, foot washing, it's a very gentle and intimate thing. You know, if I just take your foot with like a, you know, just start, you know, going at it. I mean, you might feel very uncomfortable. It's not a gentle thing. But instead what he does is, is he humbles himself and he washes the disciples' feet. Um, so I'll just read John 13, verse four. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And the lesson we can take away, in this world, our feet get dirty, meaning sin. We walk through this world. And out of a gentle spirit, we are to stoop down and wash each other's feet if necessary. It was Jesus, our example of him cleaning the disciples of their filth. We can walk to him and be washed today. So he models not only how we should act with one another, that when my brother sins against me, I ought to humble myself and wash his feet, forgive him of his sins against me. And likewise, at the same time, when we sin against God, we can go to him and he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And uh, it brings to mind the, the verse in 1 John that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So at this point, I'd like to move into the other alternative that we talked about. And just, this is kind of more towards the clo closing ideas. What is the alternative? If we're not gentle, what is the opposite? How can we act? Brutality. And that's defined as savage violence and great cruelty. And well, if we look out into the world, it says to get even, it says to get revenge. And it's really displayed. Um, if you think about the movies and media and social media of the violent acts that are committed, uh, the violent acts that are committed just for fun, the wars that are happening, people being brutal with one another, you don't have to look very far to get examples of the opposite of gentleness. We have become desensitized. That's what it leads to. We then begin to slowly wash ourselves instead of with his word and with all things that are good and pure and righteous. Instead, we start washing ourselves with violent movies and shootouts and so on. We become cruel to others and we don't care what we say or do. And the other end of brutality would be our tongue. And once again, going back to James, the tongue is a, a little member. It's set on fire of hell. Remember that, Ovi? Um, yeah, our, our tongue can be also very brutal. And one of the examples, um, and I don't have the picture, I, I wasn't sure if I was gonna get to it, but in Florida, there was a case of, and I've mentioned this before, uh, a case of two fathers in a road rage incident where they started shooting at one another with their daughters in the backseat. 
And instead of hitting each other, they hit each other's daughters. And one daughter was five and got hit in the leg. One daughter was 14 and got hit in the lung and with a collapsed lung. So it was uh, a crazy thing. The daughter survived, but imagine the brutality on the road. So just be careful when you're out there. Instead of the fruit of the spirit with gentleness, if someone cuts you off, let them cut you off. And uh, just to kind of bring it, bring it in, um, Paul does in, Gal- in Galatians 5, just above the fruit of the spirit, he talks about the fruit of the flesh, if you look at it. And this is, remember, the alternative. Um, I kind of went to 2 Timothy 3, 15, uh, 3 1 to 5, uh, just to kind of highlight that, you know, what can we observe today? Is the world becoming more gentle? Are we as a whole society growing in the fruit of the spirit or the opposite? And this is how it reads. But understand this, in the last days, terrible times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control and brutal. And uh, like I said, you don't have to go too far to see that. The alternative to gentleness the fruit of the world and the fruit of flesh. I I wouldn't want to live in a world that has this type of fruit. And sadly, we do live in that world. But amongst one another, we can exhibit the fruit of the spirit. And that's a privilege we have. We can also look in the scripture, and this is where I'll kind of close it out a little bit. Um, Brutality in the scripture can be found all over. And some people would even criticize the Bible because the Bible is so barbaric and it's got all these stories of murder and right, it does. It's just a reflection of the human heart. And you don't even have to look very far in Genesis. We see that brothers, one brother murders another brother. The first murder, it wasn't some enemy, it was their brother. That's how brutal a world can get apart from God. A sin against family, against love, And uh, how would the scripture would have turned out if they would have chosen to be gentle instead? It would have read very differently. How would your life look if you chose brutality over gentleness in any given moment? Perhaps there'd be a lot of regret like those two fathers that shot each other's daughters. I know I would have regretted that. In conclusion, gentleness is a fruit of the spirit, not of self. And once again, I was reminded of that. How does the spirit produce this fruit almost passively or unintelligibly? And here's the answer that I kind of stumbled upon by accident. By looking at Christ through his word. That's as simple as that. It was very interesting. And this is just kind of an example. Uh, A couple years ago, um, Pastor uh, Ovi and Emma were over... um, and had dinner with us. And Emma made an observation that, isn't it so amazing that as we look at God's word, we kind of become more and more like him just by looking at his word. And uh, that kind of stuck in my mind for many years. And finally, something came out of it. It's uh, found in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And it reads, but we will all with uncovered face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So we can look at examples throughout the scripture 
as we have done this morning, that's exactly what we did. We talked about Ruth and Boaz, David and Mohibosheth, and the life of Christ. We gaze upon the glory of God through his word, and we are changed by it. We are changed into that image by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because, because Christ embodies the fruit of the Spirit, studying his life gives us insight and inspiration to want, um, to want to be molding into our hero, and the Spirit works to accomplish this goal. Um, in other words, if you think about it, the, the fruit is like a fruit on a tree or a fruit on a plant. And so we are the tree, yet the, us, we can observe these fruits, whether we have them, what's weak, what, what we need more of. And the Holy Spirit is the planter. He's the one that gives the fertilizer. And what's the fertilizer? It's the word. As we look more onto his glory, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we behold his glory and we get changed into his image. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And so this morning you have chosen to be at church, to look at scripture, to look into his glory. And I'm praying that that causes a change in you. And when you leave this building, that you're stirred up, that you've looked at his glory, you want to become more like that. And when a situation happens in your life where you have a choice between brutality and gentleness, you can think back on this day or any other day where you've read a scripture, the Holy Spirit is the planter and he brings that to mind and you will choose to be gentle instead. This also has to be a little bit put in context and this is how I'll close, that there is a time for all. Ecclesiastes 3 says there is a time for all. There's a time to sow and a time to gather and a time for war and a time for peace and so on. The idea is that God doesn't want us to just be passive little bunnies and be walked on all over the world. I'm not saying go out and just try to be the most gentle person you can ever be and lay down as a carpet and let everyone step on you. That's not the point. Um, we, we must control the influence and power we hold. That's all I'm saying. That once again, our actions can be gentle or brutal. Our tongue can be gentle or brutal. And we must have whatever influence, whatever power we hold over people, over work, over whatever avenues of life, we can choose to be gentle. And uh, we can control our emotions and also how we handle the Bible. Because even though the word of God can be a sword, it is likened to a sword. And with that sword, we can really hurt people. And there are many people that have used the Bible to hurt others. And uh, Paul admonishes us to use the word um, uh, in love, in gentleness, with, with, with a rebuke. Think about the rebuke you can get as a brutal, you're so dumb, you're so whatever, versus uh, a gentle rebuke, a gentle touch when you have fallen, when you have sinned, and so on. So once again, my goal was to bring clarity to the fruit of gentleness. And I hope by those examples that I've given, I have done it to some extent. And if I haven't, I pray that the Holy Spirit reveals it more to you. Um, a sampling from scripture, a warning against the alternative so that it would foster a great desire to grow in the spirit. So I'm hoping that today we can ask God to grow us in gentleness. So I'd like to close out in prayer. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.